Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to HIV Hope and Charity, a podcast series brought to you by TVPS, a charity that's been supporting people affected by HIV since 1985. I'm Sarah and I'm Jess and we work for TVPS and our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. If you like the podcast, please rate, subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello, right, hang on, sorry. Okay, I should start with that theme tune. (laughs) Okay, I have to remember the lyrics first. HIV hero or history. Every week we have to solve this mystery. mystery. <laughs> Thank you. Um, oh, a person or a event, Sarah was. That, that line always gets me. It's too complicated. If you like our podcast, you better subscribe. People will be like, please stop doing it. Just don't, don't do it anymore. Yeah. I think if I heard that at the start of a podcast, it would be a challenge to continue listening. You just switch it off when you'd be like, what is this old crap? Yeah. <laughs> thank you for anyone that hasn't turned off yet. Yes, thank you for persevering. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, are you ready for this week's podcast? Okay, I don't know if I am, only because I'm still reeling from a two-parter <laughs> of Charlie Sheen, to be honest. That was quite the ride. It really was. I think this is the same. In fact, I'm issuing a warning for this one because I know sometimes when we do these podcasts we talk about things that that make us cross don't they or they shock us and that's perfectly natural because um, some things that have happened in the past associated with HIV are shocking or are upsetting this week's episode I mean I'm absolutely raging fuming absolutely fuming and the more research I did the more angry I became and that's not really happened when I do the research for the podcasts I think by the time I come to kind of deliver them and, and just kind of share them with, with you and everybody who listens, I've kind of got used to what we're talking about. So quite often I'll be talking about, you know, something in the 80s and you'll be like, oh, God. And I'll be like, but the 80s are great. And you'll be like, you know, can you actually hear what you're saying? It's awful. 
But this week's episode, it starts in the 80s. And if I'm honest, I do not like the 80s this week. Yeah, every single time I have been trying to schedule recording this with Sarah, any time I even mention recording this one, all she says is, I am livid. So I'm not sure if we're going to get to the end of this without you literally exploding. You're just going to be red and shaking across Zoom at me. What a lovely image that will be. (laughs) There's part of me that's like, do I want to hear it? This sounds like it's going to be really awful. It is awful. But as the people who um, have got past us, us singing the jingle of persevered, will persevere also. Yes. And important for the world to hear, I'm sure, especially if it's this absolutely rage inducing. There you go. Okay, we're going to split this into two episodes, just like we did with Charlie Sheen, because there's a lot to get through. So this week's moment in history, and it is a moment, it's not a person, is all about the contaminated blood scandal. Let's refresh our knowledge as to what that actually is, because when I first started looking into it, it was a bit sketchy in my own mind what all this was about. So this is where haemophiliacs were given blood products that were were infected with the HIV and or hepatitis viruses. It happened in the 70s and 80s, and it was the result of the introduction of a new treatment for haemophiliacs that was supposed to improve their lives. Lots to unpick. I didn't realise it was hepatitis. uh, Well, (laughs) ah, I couldn't even say that then. (laughs) I didn't realise it was also hepatitis. I did just think it was HIV. So already, tick Sarah, learnt something within the first five minutes. Well done you. I didn't realise either. Part of my anger, but you know, it'll only increase as we carry on. Okay, step one of Sarah's rage. It begins. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, let's find out more about what haemophilia is. So from the NHS website, really, I think the best source for things like this, it says, uh, (laughs) you've got it now, like me. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. Maybe it's a defence mechanism. Like, (laughs) sorry, sorry. she was just, she just breathed in to speak. And I was like, no, I'm just leaping in there. Just leaping in. But maybe it's a defence thing because we both know know. that this is going to make us like sad and angry. So our brain's like, no, I'm going to cheer them up by making them trip over all their words. Excellent. Okay, so haemophilia is a rare condition that affects the blood's ability to clot. It's usually inherited and most people who have it are male. Normally, when you cut yourself, substances in your blood known as clotting factors mix with blood cells called platelets to make your blood sticky and form a clot. This makes the bleeding stop eventually. People with haemophilia don't have as many clotting factors as they should in their blood. So it means that they can bleed for much longer. Look at you. The minute we go sciencey, you're just like... I, oh. I wanted to jump in and then I was like, don't do that. Do we know why it's mainly men? No, I think it's just genetics. And I didn't realise it was just men. There are some women, but, you know... Of course, but it is mainly men. I could look into that fascinating i know it's quite a rare condition but it's it is interesting now the haemophilia society are my first sort of source of information for this great resource they've got a really fantastic website and it explains everything about the condition and the contaminated blood scandal and luckily for me it's written in very plain english now i know we've worked with them before um, or we've certainly uh, supported service users that have accessed their service. So I know they're a really good organisation and provide excellent support. But we're going to use the information on their website as a basis to understand what happened. Are you ready? My rage is going to increase. Oh. We're going level two. 
I feel like, you know, when you're at the top of a ride, like at Alton Towers, and you've gone like, click, 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 and then you're like, are you ready? Let's go. And then it's just going to be like, ah! <laughs> I am ready. I'm strapped in. Let's do it. Okay. In the 70s and 80s, 4,689 people with haemophilia and other bleeding disorders were infected with HIV and hepatitis viruses through the use of contaminated clotting factors. Some of those unintentionally infected their partners, often because they were unaware of their own infection. Since then, more than 3,000 people have died. And of the 1,243 people infected with HIV, less than 250 are still alive. Many people who don't have the bleeding disorder were infected with hepatitis C as a result of blood transfusions during this period. A large number were unaware of their infection for many years before diagnosis. And it's estimated that as many as 25,000 people may have been infected as a result of the contaminated blood scandal. That is absolutely obscene. I know. I had no idea it was those sheer massive numbers of people. And it's not just people that have haemophilia, as I just said, it's also people that have needed blood transfusions for other reasons. So this is more kind of wide reaching than just that particular group. But like you, I didn't know because it's not really been publicised over the years. Well, thank God. Silence is good for a podcast for us to just... (laughs) (laughs) So uh, maybe we should just have silence breaks just because this is going to be so utterly horrifying. And with because I'm already kind of annoyed and I don't even know any history of it because how how could that happen how could that happen okay well let's look at that so that's a really good question we'll look at that next so we know that people with haemophilia lack a protein that enables their blood to clot it's called factor eight up until the 70s they'd need a blood transfusion in hospital to treat a bleed but in the 70s a revolutionary new treatment was introduced which allowed haemophiliacs to treat themselves at home by way of an injection. So the injection reduced the likelihood of bleeds occurring in the first place and enabled haemophiliacs to live a much better quality of life. Demand for the product was high. I mean, so high, in fact, that the UK struggled to meet demand and they started to import the Factor 8 blood clotting treatment from America. Now, in order to make the blood clotting treatment, you need blood plasma, human blood plasma from donors. And much of the plasma donated in America and used for Factor 8 came from what we now know are higher risk groups, prison inmates, drug users, and they sold their blood to make the treatment. Right. So they it wasn't like blood donation as we know it now, where you pop along and you're doing it for free. These were people who were selling it. Yes. Do we know how much for? I know that's a quite a weird question. I don't actually. And I don't know how often they were able to donate and whether this was a, like a source of income for them. But yeah, they were selling their blood to make the treatment. And if you were in prison, again, you're probably not going to know the answers. I feel like I'm probably asking all the wrong questions. But I wonder if you're in prison, did you also get paid for it? Well, they say that they all sold their blood. So maybe they maybe they did. Okay, yeah. So maybe it was a way. Well, I suppose that's a way to encourage as many people as possible, isn't it? To join this scheme and to get involved. Yeah. Very different to over here where we donate blood for free. Over there, of course, they're paid to do it. So it's a massive incentive if you don't have a lot of money. I get paid when I give blood in orange club biscuits. Oh, my favourite type yeah. of club biscuit. I know. That's literally the only time I ever have a club is when oh. I don't give blood. So you are paid then. But in, in a way, 
Some orange squash and a club. But is that like for a sugar rush afterwards? Well, it's not to give us a sugar rush. <laughs> is that to hype you all up on sugar and additives? <laughs> Obviously, it's to, uh, you kind of stabilise your blood pressure. It's to get some sugar in you. Yes, so you have to sit down. I think it's for at least 15 minutes. Can I either have a cup of tea or squash? I don't drink tea, as you know. And they have, honestly, the most lovely array of crisps, snacks, chocolate biscuits, and they encourage you to eat something so that you feel okay and you don't faint. Oh, yeah. Sugar rush was the wrong term, wasn't it? <laughs> Just everyone out. Woo! Off we go. Back You're to work. skipping out of there. <laughs> so are there, are people still paid in America now, do we know? Is that still how no it idea. works? No idea. They, well, probably in America, get, well, you have to pay for everything, don't you? That's true. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look this up. Sorry, I'm just going to try to stop asking questions, but you don't know the answer to it. <laughs> well, let me preempt a question that you might ask, which is the one that I thought of. So I was thinking, how could so many people be infected in this way back then? Because, you know, HIV, it was prevalent, but it wasn't that prevalent. So, you know, was every blood crot- clotting treatment infected right I see what you're saying around the numbers and you know the true answer is we don't know but the risk of contamination was high because factor eight was made by pooling plasma from up to 40,000 donors and concentrating it so everyone's is put together in like a big vat and then concentrated yeah boiled down I don't know the terminology that does seem like a recipe for disaster doesn't it but in hindsight huge number 40,000 people needed for one treatment I mean I don't know how many treatments are needed to treat someone with haemophilia I guess it depends on the severity of the condition and I don't know how much factor eight is produced by concentrating 40,000 people's plasma I mean that is way too scientific for me but the fact the UK couldn't keep up with demand and had to turn to the states in the first place would suggest that you know you need a lot of donors so that's why there was more likelihood of HIV and hepatitis being in that treatment than if you'd taken, you know, each donation from one person and then... And I honestly thought that's how it would have been. Mm, Naively, I I thought it would just be, okay, this person's donation and goes to that person. This person goes to that person. Did not think it would be like a huge, big amalgamation of all of them. No, so they're taking 40,000 people's donations, mixing them all together. Now we think, oh, that's just absolutely crackers. Why would they do that? But of course, back then they didn't know. Oh, my goodness. Tell me more. Tell me more. Okay. to be fair, little was known, as we know, about HIV transmission routes in the early 80s. But by 1985, they started heat treating factor eight because they understood HIV was bloodborne. But and this is the source of my anger. My anger's going up to eight or nine now. Some contaminated blood products remained in circulation. And there are questions about whether it was known before this time that the blood was contaminated. In addition, screening of all pro- blood products began in 91. So that's not until six years later. And by the li- late 90s, other synthetic products uh, were available for haemophiliacs. So the infection risk was completely removed. I'm falling over my words because I'm fuming. So wait, they could have known, I'm not saying they did, but they could have known that the blood was contaminated and then it went out into circulation. Yeah. So we'll not- talk more about that later but yes that's essentially what happened before 1985 that this was contaminated blood and even if they didn't contaminated products were still being used 
after 1985. Why were they still in circulation? Yeah, why? Are we going to come to that later? We will look into this in more detail. There are some questions that cannot be answered about this, which makes it even worse. Um, and of course, you know, the length of time between then and now is, is huge, you know, 30 plus years. So that doesn't help the situation. But yeah, the more you kind of delve into this matter, the more questions are left unanswered. That must be so frustrating for people who want answers. Absolutely. If you've been affected by this scandal and you're wondering how on earth this could have happened, you aren't getting definitive answers as to why at the moment. We'll go back to the Haemophilia Society website, become like a bit of a Bible for me, for an explanation of what went wrong. And also, you know, were the risks known? Were they ignored? We'll see what they say. So the website says pharmaceutical companies and leading clinicians didn't share appropriate information about risks with patients and patient groups. In 1975, the then health minister, Dr. David Owen, announced that funds had been allocated to ensure the UK became self-sufficient in blood products. That never happened. From this time, outbreaks of hepatitis began to be reported from haemophilia centres around the country. In 1982, the first death of a man with haemophilia infected by AIDS was reported in America. And the first warning of the danger of contracting AIDS from contaminated blood products was published. That was followed in 1983 by other warnings in The Lancet and from the World Health Organization, which said that people with haemophilia should be warned of the dangers. Now, at this point, let me remind you, the UK didn't start heat treating factor eight until 1985, two years after that warning. Yes, see the source of my rage? Yes, yes, I do. So heat treating it, what does that mean? That would get rid of any contamination. Oh, so something they did start doing, as we know, in 85, they had these, and then they, why? Again, why? I know. So there's warnings, you know, The, the Lancet is a, is a well-respected publication. I mean, the World Health Organization are saying, guys, can we just let haemophiliacs know about the dangers of contracting HIV through blood transfusions? Uh, and yet here in the UK, we're just like, we're not going to do anything. Two years later, oh, you better start treating the adonated blood from abroad. Awful. That is awful. That's really awful. Two years. Imagine how many people were treated in that time. Absolutely. And none of them would have had any idea they were putting themselves at risk. I mean, the Haemophilia Society have said during that time, they were issuing statements reassuring people with bleeding disorders that the new factor was safe and to continue using it. Now, they gave that advice based on guidance from haemophilia centre directors and from the government. Now, on their website, they apologise unreservedly for this error, which is, I mean, that's very generous of them because the information they were disseminating to their members was from trusted sources, you know, medical professionals, the government. In the same way, you know, we disseminate information to our service users from the government. Can you imagine subsequently finding out the advice that you'd been giving out in good faith was completely wrong. It must be awful for the people that worked there. Your primary role is to support your members and look after them. And the information you're giving them means that they're contracting HIV and hepatitis. That's really devastating, isn't it? For everyone involved. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it really, it really is. Um, And I really feel for them because they were doing it all in good faith. Of course, why would you question the sources of information like that? You wouldn't. Public Health England comes and tells us something. I wouldn't be going, no, I don't. I think I know. Like, you're going to listen. Exactly. You know, we have to listen because you know we have to trust them. 
that's kind of the thing we are sort of required to toe the line of public health aren't we absolutely i mean if you look at it on on a wider basis you know with covid for example we've had to trust the government's advice on how to get through the pandemic because if you don't trust them where are your sources of information coming from and we all know the social media um, is one source and that can't be trusted either so i think you know we never want to be in a situation where you can't trust the people in authority who are telling you information but on this occasion they shouldn't have been trusted but those people could never have known no absolutely not and this organization you know great organization is giving information encouraging their service users to use the new treatment and telling them it's perfectly safe and it wasn't i know i had to stop doing it at that point because my head exploded i was just like this is outrageous for me that's the uh strap line for the entire episode i think that's what i'm gonna put on the podcast thing i'm just gonna write this is outrageous because it's, it's just so unbelievable that this could happen. That's what I struggle to get my head around. It's not going to get any easier, but let's plough on. Well, we should look at the stigma. We, when we talk about stigma experienced by people living with HIV all the time, and it was rife in the 80s. But one area I think that doesn't really get the attention it deserves is the stigma experienced by infected haemophiliacs. So we know they're one of the four H's, homosexuals, heroin addicts, Haitians, and haemophiliacs. So it's not surprising that according to the Haemophilia Society, many people assumed back then that anyone with haemophilia had AIDS because they're clumped in as one of the four H's. Can I just say, I hate that label. It was very common to be used back then. And we've said it before, more so in America. So just to clarify where the term comes from. uh, So it is used by the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, to describe the four groups most at risk of contracting HIV. Now, I know at the time they probably thought it was a really snappy way of describing those at risk. But do you think at any point they realised that the terminology they were using was actually just perpetuating stigma and alienating people? Yeah, so damaging, so, so damaging to those groups. I just imagine them all sitting around going, oh, how can we summarise this? Because, you know, we need something that's really easy to refer to. And then someone goes, the four H's, and everyone goes, yes. And then forevermore, they're labelled as being most at risk of contracting HIV. Sorry, did the four H's come after GRID? I think it did, yes. You'd think they'd have learned. So GRID, just to go back in time, if anyone hadn't listened to our Reclaimed Dugar episode, uh, was gay-related immune deficiency, wasn't it? Yes. And that was what essentially HIV was coined as to start with. Now, I'm just saying, you might have thought they'd have learned from just saying, right, this is just, this is a this is a gay thing. You might have thought that when they'd have gone, oh, wait, it's not. No, 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 it's not. They might have learned to not just then go four H's, package it all in again, where it's like, oh, no, no, it's not just these groups. Like, oh, bloody hell. I know. There's one. I was going to swear then. It's one balls up after another. It really, no, it really is. And and now I think I might need to lie down in a minute, Jess. We might have to abort the recording and start <laughs> again later. This is really unfair. And, you know, and if you think about them, if you're an HIV positive haemophiliac so you've already got one condition haemophilia that's rare anyway you're offered a life-changing means of managing your condition from a trusted source the nhs and your life's about to improve you're going to be given more freedom you're then infected with a virus that has a huge amount of negativity associated with it and that there's no cure for and as a result possibly for the first time in your life you're being referred to a sexual health clinic for treatment so you're having to attend a sexual health clinic for a condition you haven't even contracted 
through sexual contact. Now, I should point out, I mean, it's very unclear who broke the news of the diagnosis to the people that were affected. Could have been the haemophiliac consultant, where they referred to an HIV consultant, where were they treated? I mean, I'm sure they were all treated with dignity and compassion. Even as I say that, I know that some of them weren't because it was a sign of the times, wasn't it? Were they having to go to a sexual health clinic? Were some of them going for the first time, having never set foot in that environment before because they had a diagnosis for something that's usually sexually transmitted? Again, I can't get my head around it. And there must have been children that were contracting, I mean, that were haemophiliacs and that were contracting. So were they having to attend? And what was that like? I don't know. I think we will probably come back to this and look at it in more detail uh, when I'm in a karma frame of mind. But there are so many questions. The more you look into it, the more you're like, but how were they supported? And were they going to clinics? And what happened? Honestly, the more I look into it, the sadder I feel. And do you know what's even worse for me is because there was obviously back then huge stigma attached to HIV, there still is, and nobody talked about it. A lot of haemophiliacs kept their diagnosis a secret and some were told to do that by their consultant such was the stigma at the time so they had no idea how many people had been infected I mean haemophilia is a rare condition anyway so it's unlikely many people living with the condition would have had a wide network of peers also living with the same condition so they had they were completely isolated and had nobody to talk to about how horrific this was and you know those that were open and let's be honest why shouldn't they be experienced abuse just like other sections of the community that were affected I mean it was a really tough time really tough again I'm going to use the phrase of the the two episodes of that's outrageous your doctor yeah it's not going to sit your consultant it's not going to sit there and go oh by the way um you're positive don't think you should tell anyone and then what I'm trying to say is they're all they're not going to be then saying oh yeah we've also um this has happened to loads of other people so there's other people you can go and chat to they're going to keep that a secret like you're saying you're going to feel completely alone absolutely and they'll have seen the press at the time around HIV and they'll have noticed the stigma around it and and now they're a part of it without ever having meant to be oh it's just horrible isn't it do you know what there's an article on the THT website we'll put a link as we always do and it's an interview with a lady whose two brothers were haemophiliacs and they contracted HIV when they were both still quite young very moving article it articulates far more effectively than I ever will just how much of a scandal this whole situation is so I would urge people to go and check it out because it really highlights what a challenging time that was for people and how awful it was but for us that's part one of the contaminated blood scandal concluded in the next episode we're going to look at what happened next so we'll look at whether there was a cover-up and who should be held responsible oh okay I like the sound of that I I'm on, I was gonna say I don't really want to join you for that um <laughs> my guest stand in because this is like just absolutely rage inducing as you said unbelievable but if we're gonna talk about maybe who's accountable then I like that I'm on board for exploring that with you yeah we'll try and make it a bit more positive but do you know what it's not And some things are just awful and we should still talk about them, shouldn't we? We should still highlight them. This this should be talked about all the time, most definitely. And, And I don't think people talk about it enough, to be honest. 
And I'm a bit ashamed at my own lack of knowledge, if I'm honest, because I've heard of this, but I've never really looked into it. And now I'm right behind these people. Justice has to be done. It just has to be. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I can't believe how many people, I can't believe how this happened. We should know about this. We should know about our history and our community. And I'm glad you've chosen to do this on the podcast so that lots more people can learn about it. If they didn't switch off after my terrible jingle. Yeah, that was an error at the start. Okay, no jingle. No, people would listen and go, this can only get better. (laughs) They've started so low. The bar is so low. It must must get better from here. Oh, my goodness. Right, well, I'm off to make a cup of tea and have a digestive and just generally try to do something to make myself feel slightly better. Right, well, I look forward to part two next week. Thank you for listening to HIV Hope and Charity. If you'd like to know more about the work that we do, visit tvps.org.uk. And please like, subscribe and rate the podcast if you enjoyed it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.